0: today we are going to do something a little bit different today you're going to get to hear all about me yay so today i am sharing a podcast called chronicles of us and nags did this interview with me a while back and we decided it would be fun to share it over here on the shanty pants show so get ready get ready to hear a lot about me leave it all behind write the story change the lines what if we took the time to get to know a person not just the first impression but their story i'm Shani payton and i am bringing you along as i learn that i am not alone in this journey of life and neither are you join me every week as i hear courageous stories of inspiring individuals determined to leave an impact on this world i speak with many who have suffered through challenges i myself have been through such as living in a cult, infertility, foster care, adoption, and mental health illness. I have experienced firsthand how the stories of others have impacted me in my journey of healing. My goal is for you to feel that you are not alone in your struggles. Let's heal together, and you know I'll be bringing some fun along the way. Now let's dive in to some emotional, scary, humorous, and heroic stories. Thanks for coming along as I continue to grow. Welcome to the Shanty Pants Show the moment. It's time to turn the page. So I think they all turned me into like a survivor and, and, and to get more happy about life and be more positive, even though like life sucks a lot. So
1: welcome to the Chronicles of Us podcast. Wherever you are in your personal or professional journey, this podcast is a means to inspire you and give you some insights on what it can mean to achieve personal success. Follow us on Instagram. Just look us up at chroniclesofus.with.nags. You'll find there behind-the-scenes content, teasers, and more information on our upcoming guests. Uh, hi everyone, I'm really excited to have a special guest with me today on the podcast uh, and I'm actually so dumbfounded that she accepted my invitation even and just so grateful um, and uh, so yeah I'm not gonna wait any longer, I'm just gonna introduce you uh, Shannon Payton also known on Instagram and TikTok as official Pants. thank you so much for being with me today. <laughs>
0: I am honored. I am honored. I am very excited to chat with you today. It's going to be amazing.
1: Like a million other people um, basically um, com- came across you during the pandemic on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, and first it was like, you're kind of like a mom influencer and I'm a mom myself. So it was very it resonated <laughs> with me. Like I think a lot of other moms. And provided great entertainment and a bit of reassurance as well that it wasn't just happening to me, all these things. <laughs> um, and uh, and then you posted a reel, and then I thought, oh, my God, I need to talk to her. I want to know more about her story. And that was the <laughs> reel you gave different facts about yourself,
0: which yes. you repost
1: regularly um, for the newcomers. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think then... Um, Aside from asking all my listeners to actually go and check you out, uh, maybe you want to introduce yourself very quickly in one sentence um, for everyone.
0: All right. I am Shannon Payton, and I am a mom of three and a wife, and we have some wonderful fur babies too that I love. I'm an animal lover. So, yeah, and now I'm a social media creator. (laughs) I kind of fell into that role.
1: So I, I listened to all the podcasts and you have quite an amazing story. And I mean, I, I don't want this to be another podcast where you're going to tell your whole story again, because you guys, if you're listening, just go check the other podcasts out. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think it's, if you can just quickly give us like a synopsis of your story, then I can ask you a few questions that have been on my mind all this time.
0: Of course, of course, yes. So um the hot topic that everyone wants to know about, of course, is how I was raised and I was raised in a religious cult. And so that was uh, quite an experience and it took a long time to, I well, I'm still recovering from that, but I got out when I was 31. So I was a mom of one when, when I got out and, um, and my husband as well. And so, you know, the last 11 years have kind of been recovering and my journey of figuring out kind of who I am without that, uh, lifestyle anymore. And so it, it has not been easy, but it's been, it's been, it's been really good. It, the last couple of years have been very, very healing for me. So that's been great. Um, we also have adopted our three children. So our son, we adopted, um, from pr- private, private adoption. And then the girls, we ended up going through foster care when we adopted the girls and they actually came to us together. So that was a fun, um, you know, crazy experience, but it was, it was a lot of fun and still is. So after that, we called it quits. We're like, okay, we're good for now. <laughs> Um, but that, that, you know, those two experiences have been, have been really quite amazing too in different ways. And then even before that, we had suffered through infertility for about three years. So that was a very, and during that time we were still living, um, within the cult. So it was a really awkward, sensitive, it was a very lonely, lonely time for me. So that's kind of like, you know, the, the meat and potatoes of my story. And of course, as you know, there is a lot that goes along with that, but that's kind of it. And then as far as where I am now, I kind of stumbled upon the social media, um, thing during the pandemic and, and here we are. So it's been a crazy ride and I still have my real life job too. (laughs)
1: Yeah. So you're a realtor. Actually. Yes. So, and, um, in, in like your real job, I guess
0: <laughs> <laughs> in my real job,
1: I know you've been, you you were born in the cult and you grew up in the cult, um, until like you said, 30 years old. I, I wanted to understand what was your Um, I mean, you didn't know anything else, but what was your perspective on what you wanted for yourself growing up and what, what, uh, how you saw your future at that time?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we, uh, it was a very confusing time. I have a sister that's 18 months younger than me. So we, and we were tended to be a bit rebellious. So we questioned a lot and my family, was always a little bit on the outskirts. Like we were kind of a rebellious family. Like my parents took us to Disneyland and, you know, we would wear sweatpants in our house. And so we were always a little bit of an outcast, I would say, family. Like we were in trouble a lot. And so um, as much as I'm thankful for that now, it was very stressful growing up that way. And it was even More stressful. The worst part of it was just not having questions answered. It was very confusing. Then, of course, as I got older, like in my teen years, we got really fed up with the system, with everything, because we're like, this is ridiculous. And it was all about, you know, God's word and this is what God wants. And for me personally, it was like, I don't really picture God as what you are, you know, making him out to be. So this is really weird. Like that. God would think I wouldn't love him if I meant wearing jeans, you know, and like stuff like that, that just was so simple, but it was, you know, I think it boiled down to just a lot of control that was, um, being put upon everyone and had been for years. So it was really a very confusing time. It was, um, I would say for me personally, I always felt like I didn't belong as much as that was our life cuz we didn't have friends outside of um we called them meetings so we didn't have friends outside of meetings like that was our existence was these people were our friends and our our lives basically and that was always just not enough like i feel like i just always even from a young age like i wanted more and and as i'm healing i'm digging back a lot into my past and my childhood And realizing that as, you know, as much as I grew up in a safe, loving home, as far as our our little family unit, there's still so much trauma associated with just growing up, you know, constantly being told what you're doing wrong. One of the biggest things I think for women and girls was we, I feel like everything was like over-sexualized, but in a way like where the fault was put on women and girls for causing men to lust. And so as a small, as a girl, like, I mean, from a very young age, we're wearing long skirts. I mean, basically from the time you can walk probably and, you know, dressing very, very, very conservatively. And you're taught that this is basically so that men don't lust after you and you cause them to sin by doing that. Wow, that's insane. So as a teen, especially, I just like looking now having girls, I'm like, gosh, I can't imagine even putting that in their mind, even slightly that just what, I mean, childhood and like I have one teenager, it's hard enough as it is. And I can't imagine like, so I have to like think, okay, we were pretty strong to make it through that because we were bullied very heavily. Not a lot of the kids in our group went to public school, but um, but some did and we did, but we were bullied so heavily just for our outward appearance, basically. we And we were a little odd anyway, just because we didn't have Um, much outside influence besides, um, like I said, we did go to school. So it was just overall, I would say it was just a very, um, a very uncertain way of growing up and just unsettled, very unsettled.
1: So you were not going to a school where the, the, the kids were all part of the cult. So I, I was wondering how you managed to share your experiences, exchange with them. Did you understand them? Did they understand you? Were you able to build relationships that would, um, would enrich your life or help you in, in uh, being the person that you are outside of the cult?
0: So we did not have any outside influence really in our lives. Um, We were not allowed to seek outside counsel and it was really, really discouraged to have any outside relationships. So no, there were not people that we could share with and there a lot, everything. So it was really weird. Like as teens, for instance, like if the guys went and watched a movie at the theater and someone saw them or somehow it got found out, then they all would have to like get up on the stage on Sunday and confess and be rebuked. It was all very public shaming for really like insignificant occurrences so that was oh, wow that was damaging in itself because it made you. It basically groomed people to be very secretive because you did not want people to find out anything because you knew you would end up on the stage. So that was terrifying in itself. And it really, I think, caused people to be extra secretive and to really hide everything that um, that you would even think might be a problem. And even so you would be afraid to share your thoughts. So you really wouldn't you really wouldn't reach out and really talk to people. I do remember one teacher. We never would talk about anything like serious, but she was such a kind teacher and I'll never forget her because I always felt like so loved in her class. Like I felt like she protected me from being bullied. So there are a couple of people in my life like that, but never who I could like really share my thoughts with. There was one gal also her girls went to our school We went to like a K through eighth elementary school and she loved us girls so much. And so when I was 13, she had me start babysitting for them or asked if I would. And my parents allowed me to. So I started babysitting for them. Well, they were this like wonderful, lovely Christian family. And they they she had three girls and we my I have two sisters. So we had a lot of similarities. Well, her and my mom ended up hitting it off really good and you know, at this time, my mom didn't have any outside friends. And they ended up like being friends because they were just this lovely Christian family. And the more we got to know them, we're like, wait a second. I thought we were the only people, you know, doing God's will and doing things right. And yet these people are like, so amazing and such kind, good people. And so that really was an interesting time because her and my mom became very good friends. But then we would also like get in trouble for spending time with them because they would come to our house or my mom would I don't know, you know, meet her for coffee. But I did babysit for them for a long time and then finally they're like we really really want to go to your church because we were such amazing people. And she so they came to meeting with us one Sunday and we still just die over the story that they, they came with their three girls and they were like a part of their worship team at their church and just very involved. And she, they came and we would sing out of like this red hymn book with a piano music only. And it was very like dreary, like awful. And you would just stand like where you were seated and sing. And afterwards they're like, what about worship? Like, was that it? Like, they were flabbergasted that that is how we did church, even though we would never call it church. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty funny, and they uh, never came again, of course. But they just thought it was so strange that we were such amazing people, and we were a part of this really interesting group. So that was that was one person that I know. My mom was re- they're they're like best friends still to today. So it's very exciting, but. It was, it was definitely a taboo thing to have friends outside. And like, we didn't go to friends' birthday parties from school or have any extracurricular activities like sports. We weren't allowed to play sports. So like my husband is super athletic and he wasn't allowed to play any sports as a kid. So we weren't allowed. So that's really sad. Like that, I feel like is where like going back to childhood more, like we really missed out on some stuff um, as far as that goes.
1: I wonder how it must have felt for your parents. I mean, um, as a mother or as a father, especially as they saw you struggling, maybe not fit in or have questions, um, how did they manage?
0: I know it was very challenging for my parents, especially as we got older, because they did not have answers for us they could not provide answers for us as far as anything basically because they didn't truly believe in it and i don't know exactly when that happened for them because they were both born into the cult as well so but i feel like they were always on the outside like i said we were kind of a rebellious family so the older we got the more we did question and i i do think that was hard for them but at the same time we learned as kids to not question eventually and so you did kind of lose like you realize you're not going to get answers and so we really did kind of I mean we still questioned but but I think we we let it go a little bit more but I do remember when we were older teens we both me and my sister that is close to me in age um we both had our spouses picked out because you basically knew who you were going to marry from a very young age because the pool that you were able to pick from was very, very small. So we, of course, I was with my boyfriend, who's now my husband, from the age of 13. And he was 15 at the time. So we were a couple years apart. And you just knew you were going to marry this person. So you truly loved them and were connected to them. So, But I remember sitting down with my dad and him saying, We could be out now, like we could leave now, but you'll never see the guys again. And that was what the group really held over us as they called it marking, marking to be avoided. And it basically was excommunication. And so what would happen with that is if like if our family was to leave and be rebellious, we would be excommunicated and you would never talk to anyone in any of the groups again. And we had groups kind of scattered around the U.S. and Canada, so at least as far as I know. Um, so you basically would never see any of your friends again. We wouldn't have got married to our boyfriends, and it was kind of like a turning point. I mean, not even a turning point for us, but just kind of a realization. Like, uh, oh, if we leave now, like we will literally lose everything. And and it really was a fear because that I, I feel like that is the main thing they held over us was marking. And back in the 80s, I think it was 86, I was, um, my dad's best friend married his sister. And so, of course, we were very close with their family. And I had three cousins in that family. And their family was marked. And I was about five or six years old. And all of a sudden, these cousins that I'm really close to, I never saw again. And I was very young, so I don't ever remember, like, articulating or questioning at that age. But I do remember wondering, and I can remember, like, laying in bed and praying, like, where is Brent? I am like, why won't I see him at Grandpa and Grandma's? Like, it was such a weird time as a child. And that's, like, some stuff I'm working through currently. But it, um, it, But it scared you. And I'm sure, like, obviously I was so young. But for my parents in that age group, they literally were getting cut off from people. And so it was very scary to think that that could happen to us. And I, again, I think that's the main thing that they held over us was, "Eh, watch what you're doing because you could get marked. So, so I know it wasn't great for them, you know, raising us and not being able to answer questions because. I don't think they truly ever I know they never truly believed in it a hundred percent either.
1: I can't even really imagine how that must have been like um if you grew up with such intense sense of guilt and shame how how did you get to express yourself how Where did you get your energy and your motivation from
0: So I definitely grew up with a very intense sense of guilt and shame. It was just how we did life, basically. Um, And as far as how I expressed myself through that, I think, well, I know, I was very, very insecure and shy as a child because I, you just, if you did question things, you were shut down as a woman, especially, and as a girl, as a child, you just, you were, you were just there. You weren't real meaningful. And so you never felt like you had a lot to bring to the table or anything. And it in turn made me very insecure at school. So I was extremely shy in school yeah. and I, I didn't have much motivation as a kid. I was very, I loved nature. I loved being by myself. So I could. we lived on property in the country, and i I remember I would just come home from school and I would um go through the fence into we had like these huge pastures next to us, and there was many horses and I'd just go over with the wild horses and just lay in the tall grass and I loved like always connecting with nature and I just felt at home with nature, so I feel like that's where I kind of found my peace and then I always did have a belief in God and like I think it was just a very skewed perception. So I think I did gain peace from like praying, but I think a lot of it had to do with me, with my animals and being in nature. And I just, I loved it. I just felt at peace there. I would even sneak out my window at night and go and sit out on these huge boulders that we had and just look at the stars. And I just, I really, it was my peaceful place. And again, I don't, I was so insecure that I didn't have the sense of energy and motivation that I do now. I think it was always, always there. And again, I'm digging through childhood stuff now. But looking back, I was depressed as a child. A hundred percent, I was depressed as a child. I had some crazy inner thoughts and questions and that I would never express to anyone because we didn't do that. And so I, I carried a lot of really deep stuff thinking it was just normal and that everyone had these thoughts and and concerns. And now, you know, over 40 years old, I'm figuring out, oh, that's not like normal for children to have that much of a burden put on them. So I, so I wasn't the same as I am now. And as I got older, I feel like it was always a part of me. And so I would try to, like we would do skits. And so we were together with this group all the time. So we would call uh, these things camps and we'd get together on weekends. We weren't allowed to celebrate any holidays. So we would always get together with everyone on the holidays and be together. And so we would do skit nights, which was like the one fun thing that we did. Oh, we did have some fun parties too, but that's because... That's because I was involved. Uh no, but for real. So we I would do skit. So I was very involved with the skits, even from like maybe teens age, as I started kind of coming out of my shell, older teens. And there was kind of a group of people within our group that was like the funny group that would always be doing the skits. So I kind of started getting involved with them. And I feel like that I was still very nervous and scared, but it was like I loved it. I was like, Yeah, this is fun. Like I loved being funny. But we were always getting in trouble. Like we do a skit. And then we'd have to be talked to afterwards because we were inappropriate or we were this or that, or we hurt someone's feelings. So you felt like even when you were trying to be yourself and have fun, you were always shot down, like, oh my gosh. And so then you were always in a panic, like every time we would be planning skits, which was like minutes before we were performing, because it's not like we like really played it, planned any of this stuff out. But we're like already nervous, like, oh, is this, is this going to be okay? Are we going to get in trouble? So it's like even that in itself was like, "Oh, what stress over just having some fun yeah, so i I feel like you just got shot down again again and again and again, and when I was a once I was married we, I got married when I was nineteen, and so, as we called ourselves young marrieds or they called us young marrieds, and you would have you know a little bit more privilege as a young married because I guess you have a little bit more like oh, you're an adult, so We young adults, young marrieds, we put on a party um, during Halloween because we don't celebrate anything. And so we had done a pinata inside a building at our party and I got on the microphone to like tell people, get back. You're going to get hit in the face with the baseball bat. And I got in trouble for that because I was talking on the microphone and that was taking like too much of a... I don't know, authority role. So it was just constant. So even as an adult, it was just like, oh my gosh, like I'm literally just talking on the microphone, telling people to scoot back and chill out and I'm getting in trouble. So again, I think I had that sense of energy that I wanted to like share with everyone and just would get shot shot down over and over and over again. So really like how I am now is true me, I feel like. And I'm still learning all of what that is. But I had started my Instagram account years ago with doing just like funny videos. Once I got out of the cult, doing like funny videos and just like kind of starting to express myself a little bit. Yeah. And then of course, during the pandemic is one of my videos went viral. And then now it's, you know, kind of like my I, t- I call it my self-prescribed humor therapy because I need it because I it's an outlet for me. And then I love that I can make other people laugh because I'm like, oh, I missed out on doing that my whole life. So I I love it. I love it. I love it. And um so, yeah, it's become what it is now. But I was not always that way. I was not always this way. I was people. OK, people I put on. Her helped put on our 20 my high school 20 year anniversary right before covid and people were dying like you know classmates that came were like who who are you like they're like you are not the same person that you were in high school I'm like yeah I know I know I'm really not
1: wow what a story okay so you mentioned uh, earlier that you suffer from depression and other podcasts too so, if if you don't mind me asking, um, if you look back, do you feel that there was a moment when you were still in the cult where you felt lighter and the pressure, the guilt, everything kind of lifted up, lifted up, just enough for you to to really know who you are and and identify your personality. I mean, teenage times is critical to to develop your own identity, I guess.
0: Yes, so I do still suffer from depression, and I know, like I said, I I feel like I probably, I, or I did, I suffered from it my whole life. I just never had words to put to it, and we never were allowed to get help for that kind of thing. So, and back then, it really wasn't you know as mainstream as as it is now. And with depression too, depression's hard to explain because there are days that. I don't do videos because I am too depressed. And so depression's a hard thing, so it's hard to look back, I would say, and and specifically think like, oh, were there times when my life was happier? Because I when I look back, I just think stress. Like I think of so many scenarios that should have been happy and should have been easier, and it was just stressful. Like, and I I take a lot of stress on myself, uh, you know, just who I am. So I'm sure that's part of it, but things were just stressful. Like my my wedding was ruined. Like there were so many things that that should have been really happy, great occasions that weren't because there were so many rules and we got in trouble for so much stuff. So so I I think no. I think I always was depressed. Um and again I when I had those moments of a little bit of freedom like grabbing a microphone and I I would just I would be you know, shut down for it. And so I think it, I really lost all of that. By the time we got out, I feel like I, we were fighting a lot of stuff when it was close to getting out. Um, As far as just the stupid little things that were just to me, a control thing in this group. And and essentially that's how it ended up falling apart is we all got tired of it and tired of having no answers but um but I think by the end I was I was very depressed very depressed and that didn't change just getting out again I never had put words to depression but we were and my husband as well would say we were in a very bad place and I it took a long time and again we're talking I've been out for 11 years now and it's really been this last You know, as awful as most things were in the pandemic, it really, right before the pandemic, I started getting really serious about growing and my healing and just digging in. I've always said, like, oh, I'm doing personal development and I'm doing this and doing that, but I never felt like, okay, I'm not really being honest with even myself. Like, I have to chill out because I'm just like, do, 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 go, 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 chill out and. And help myself like I really need to dig in and figure out, you know, a lot more about who I am and and what I need. And and again, so it it was a long process getting out. It wasn't just like people are like, oh, my gosh, was it so awesome? And I'm like, no, no, it was it was a journey. And and it was weird and awkward. And you felt the shame the whole time because you just felt like you were doing something wrong by leaving. And it, God is judging you for every little decision. So it was like a slow progression of, of, of removing ourselves from a lot of that kind of indoctrination that we had been accustomed to our entire lives. And then, and then again, not really healing, like thinking I was doing better, but not really healing till, till very recently. So it's been, um, it's been a process, but I don't think. The depression ever, ever, you know, was really held at bay or anything. It was just, it was, it, it may, if anything, it got stronger, the older I got, I feel. Uh, and again, depression's hard because there's good days and bad days, but I think overall it was very significantly a part of my entire life. And then now being able to put a name to it and get help for it, has been a huge, huge step for me. And it's been exciting to see like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I can get help for this and have help that that I was always afraid of, medication or I, I was always afraid, I think, of of not being enough. So I would do 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 try like I can do everything. I'm a doer and I can get everything done. And so it was really, really hard for me to accept help. And that's something that I am 100% reversed on in the last two years or over two years, realizing that it is okay to ask for help. It's not, it doesn't mean you're a weak person or you can't do anything or you're an incapable mom. It's okay. And that's been my huge lesson is it is okay to ask for help it's okay to have to change things up and and do things to grow and to better myself and i just think like the more i better myself the border you know i'm a better mom for it i'm a better wife for it better friend for it and so that's that's kind of been my mission and it's been it's been a process but it's been really really fun
1: i can't even imagine how it must have been like um and depression takes so much out of you um I wanted to pivot a little bit to something that I've heard on another podcast. Um I believe you wanted to be a nurse when you were younger. Um <laughs> I wonder uh, why you aspired to that um and how do you feel about that now that you're actually a realtor today?
0: I always I loved I loved the whole medical field and I really did want to be a nurse so bad. Um in high school we had a program that you could go to called ROP. And it was um, like, I don't even know what it standed for now that I'm thinking. But anyway, it was a program where you could do like individual type, you know, learning. And I did um, medical assistant. And so I did that my senior year of high school, which was very risque because I I don't even know if everyone knew I was doing that, but it would not probably... Have been seen as a good thing just because it was a career type thing. And women, I mean, there were some women that worked, but no one had like careers and very few women worked, very few women worked um, or had jobs. So I did that ROP program. I absolutely loved it. I was, I think, two months too young to get certified when I graduated. And so I was never, and I never you know followed up to do it which still makes me upset with myself but um I but I loved it I was obsessed with it I loved it so much I took medical terminology classes and I really really loved it I got married instead of course and and you know even though I wanted to be a nurse it never I think fully was like I thought was an option because we didn't go to college. Like that's not what we did. And so I don't know as much as I wanted to be one. I don't think I ever really could have been realistically, um, except if I would have after getting out of the cult, but I loved it. I loved it so much. And when I was, Oh, I was probably 25 ish. I got a job at a, I love animals. And so I got a job at a vet hospital and I ended up being a vet tech, which was huge because like we had to have, my husband and I had to have this discussion like, oh, can we make this work? Because I had to wear scrubs at work. And it was so embarrassing. I remember for my interview, I asked them if it was okay if I wore skirts to work in. And I remember this poor gal that was interviewing me, she was just like, um no, no, like you might have to like straddle animals and like it's just not safe to wear a skirt at work. It was so embarrassing. And so anyway, but they wanted to hire me. So I went ahead and I got scrubs. I would get like the baggiest scrubs I can find. And um I remember if I was ever outside, I would just be like looking around, like so scared that someone I knew was gonna see me, which very unlikely that would have happened. And then even like coming out to the front office of the hospital, I was just like, always like dreading, like looking at the charts, names, like hoping, like no one I know comes here because how am I going to explain? Like, I can't go out and bring this person to a room. So it was, so I did get to live out a little bit of my, of my medical love there doing, um, the vet tech work. I, I really, truly loved it. I am still I, I'm still told you it's not too late. You can still go to school. And uh, well, it was about six years ago I considered it. And then that's when I became a realtor. Because both my sisters are realtors and I love people. I love talking with people. And so I'm just like, you know what? This will be much easier. I'm just gonna do this. And I truly do love my job. I think I would have made an amazing nurse and I, I still dream of it. I definitely will be encouraging my children to follow their dreams uh, because I, I always will wonder. I think I'll always wonder, you know, what. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door.
1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra.
0: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It could have been, but I will always wonder a lot of things from my past. So it's not like this is the only thing. Um, but let's see. Oh, and as far as like why I aspired to medical, the medical field, um I think I was all, I'm all I'm a people person even though back then I was super shy. I feel like I've always kind of been a people person, so I feel like that's part of it. Like when I was in actually to go back a little bit, when I was in those medical classes that I took in high school, it was a it was away from the high school, so it was in completely different Area and group of kids and everything. It was no one from my high school. I it was like I found my people there. And I could be myself. And like I feel like looking back, because again, I this was a great question because I'm thinking of things I didn't wouldn't normally think of, but it it was so much fun. I truly had such a fun time in that class. The teacher took me under her wing and is so amazing and I I, it was truly I have to say that was like truly one of my funnest times as a teen so thank you for reminding me of that that was a really good time and and so I just I don't know what got me there but you know maybe maybe I was meant to just enjoy that class so much I don't know it was a good time it was a really good time I had so much fun so much fun and so I think, and I think probably being so love, my love of animals was part of it because I would find injured animals in the wild and, you know, nurse them back to health. Like I was constantly doing, bringing animals home and my mom was like, oh my gosh. And I was truly the only animal lover in her family. So I had, and I had all the animals, basically, we didn't have horses, but they lived next door. So I got to experience them. But, uh. I think that was part of it actually is my love of animals and taking care of them. I definitely think that was part of it.
1: So I guess the animals never left your side, which is, which is great. Who knows maybe what the future brings. Um, <laughs> I think an important part of your story also lies in your um, struggle with infertility. Um, how do you think that it's, shaped you um you your husband and and how did it manifest itself in your marriage i mean uh, you, you mentioned before you were uh kind of um very early on kind of dedicated to each other and chose each other um how how did, does one in these circumstances deal with that and come out stronger
0: Going through infertility was awful. It was, I had not known anyone that had experienced infertility issues. We were both young and healthy and in good shape. Like I never, ever even thought for a moment that we would have any issues with infertility. So when we didn't get pregnant and that this time we are still in the cult and we didn't get pregnant and I, you know, went to the doctor and they're like, Oh, okay, well let's start, you know, whatever. So we started all this stuff and it was exhausting. And then when we, we tried like all kind of like, Oh, I forget what even IUI is what we did first. We did like three, three rounds of that and that didn't work. And that's kind of like the easy, cheaper way to go. And then, um, and then we dove into the IVFs and we did three rounds did two egg retrievals and three, three rounds of IVF. And it was awful. And and even when we did the IUIs, it was so devastating. Every time you get the bad news, every time you're disappointed. And like I was, I actually, that's during that time is when I was a vet tech and I had to quit work because I was Not good. Like I was the medication that I was on. And of course, I'm like, I'm fine. I can handle everything. The medication I was on, it drove me crazy. I was, I was truly, and again, probably I was very depressed. I know I was very depressed during that time. It was very, very hard time. Very hard time. And I also blamed myself a lot. And as I look back, I realized more and more how much I did that God was punishing me. for behavior from my past, whether it be wearing pants or thinking bad thoughts about people. And so I really felt like, oh, this is the road for me. Like God has punished me. And I always wanted to be pregnant. Like I think pregnant people are so adorable and I realize it's not fun maybe for most, but I just always wanted to be pregnant. I just thought it was, and maybe it was part of me, like the medical field. I volunteered at hospital for a long time in the maternity ward. And I just thought it was such a magical, like experience, like it was just so neat to me. So I never thought, Oh, that I would ever not be pregnant. So it was devastating for me when we had to give up eventually. And I was just, I was devastated. And as far as like, My husband and my relationship during that, back then, living in the cult, relationships were very superficial, very superficial. And unfortunately, I think that that, you know, went into almost every marriage that I can imagine within the cult. Um, I don't think there were any just super duper great marriages because, especially for us that were born into it, you were raised basically how to not communicate well, very shameful. So you were not set up to me, like to have a good marriage at all. Luckily for my husband and I, we were always really good friends. So we always had a good time together. We loved each other and he truly has always been my best friend, but on a much deeper level, we, we didn't know each other. We were not Like, I would not say, like, we appeared to have the perfect marriage because that's, you know, what our job was. Mm -hmm. But I don't, we did not have a good marriage. And so, looking back, going through all the infertility and stuff, it was just really awkward. It was awkward. It was, and I wouldn't say like it pushed us apart, but it definitely drove somewhat of a wedge because of the stress. And I think probably that is across the board for people that have to go through infertility treatments. But I'm like, oh my gosh! If we could be at the place we're at now doing it, I probably get a rocket. But we are not. We were not. <laughs> so, it. Um. I definitely think it. It didn't like make our relationship worse necessarily, but it did not make it better. It made it more awkward. And then moving into adoption after infer- infer- infertility, adoptions a very high stress situation as well. And so I feel like we just kind of rolled from one right into the other, and again, never healed. I never, ever, ever healed because we didn't go to outside sources for any counseling or anything like that. If you wanted to be counseled, it was with the head honcho and you did not want to be counseled by him. So you'd never showed your weakness. It was like, I'm fine. I can handle it. No biggie. I'm good. And I'd look at other people that were struggling and be like, oh, you're such a baby because we got this. And so you, I I would put on this face of strength and yet I was crumbling inside and not being true to myself or anyone around me, you know, that, that I was a hot mess. So basically we went from infertility and not healing at all from, from that and the trauma that that really caused both of us. And then we went into another stressful situation. So I feel like we got through it. But it did not improve our marriage either. And it it took a long time for our marriage to get where it is now. And that, again, in the last two to three years is something that we've had to tackle and realize like, OK, we basically are going to start a new marriage now. And because we're at a, such an unhealthy place, because we were never given anything in order to grow a marriage properly or a relationship in general really. Yeah. So I see. so we've we've done in a dug in and we've done a lot of work and we are so like a such a healthy happy place that we are right now. I I would never would have thought like oh, when I'm 40, that's when I'll have an amazing marriage. But I do now and it's great. And it's with the same person that I've been with this whole time, but it's just so much better, so much better now. And we, we're just having like, I mean, we're raising three children, so it's not always a blast, but we are having a blast with each other most of the time. <laughs> That's
1: fantastic to hear. You don't indeed hear that that much of that often. I mean, um, OK, so s- since leaving the cult then, I mean, it must have been a whole different new experience for you and a whole world opening up. Um, how how has all your ambition for yourself changed in that process?
0: Since leaving the cult and evolved, it's definitely been an evolution. It's been a process. So my viewpoint on life is so different now, so almost opposite as it was growing up. And since leaving the cult, I right off the bat, I experienced um, other Christian people you know, cause I, we were slowly like dipping our toes and trying like to figure out what's okay. Like it took us two years to start celebrating Christmas when we realized like we weren't going to go to hell for it. And, uh, and then we, I want to say it took probably about four years for us to start trying maybe three years to start trying out churches. And I just, I had such a hard time with it because first of all, we were taught churches were bad, 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 bad. And then I just had a hard time going. I loved worship. I loved worship because we never were allowed to do that. And But I had a hard time listening to the speakers or preachers. Um, I just, ugh, it just gave me the eebie And so it took a really long time for me to go. I w- did go to like some Bible studies where I met some women and so I quickly learned like hey there are other like women out there that did not grow up or believe the way I did but they're amazing loving women and the more we got out in the real world it was like we were really messed up and taught very wrong as far as everyone in the world was bad basically so that changed very quickly and then being a parent really changed me because I had to realize What do I want to teach my own children? How do I want to raise my own children? Because it's basically starting from scratch because I don't really want to raise them any of the ways that we were raised. Um, So that changed a lot for me. And then, too, having children that uh, tend to be a little challenging – I'm like, it's a whole parenting. It's a thing, you know? So it's like, if we cannot have a little bit of grace for other parents, cause I, we are raised so judgmental. And that was one of my biggest things right off the bat is like, I am reversing this. I am not going to be judgmental, but I tell you what it is ingrained. So I still, every day I'm like, why are you having that thought? That is a very judgmental thought. And I'm like, okay, let's reverse it. But With my kids, I'm like, I do not want them being raised, hearing me being judgmental, first of all, and then being judgmental. Because now how I view God's love is that we just show his love. We show his grace. And it is not my job to judge other people, to put other people in their place on any aspect of life. So with that, that's how I'm raising my children, basically, is... I do believe in God. I, I now go to church. I found a fabulous place that I feel so wonderful at. It took until like last, well, right before the pandemic. So it, it took 10 years to find a place. Um, but, but I'm still very wary of authority figures, rightfully so. And I think I always will be. I'll always have this little bit of a hesitance um, towards someone telling me what to do. And, and actually uh, in a meeting I was just in not too long ago, not a church thing at all, uh, a dress code thing was brought up and I immediately just had this huge trigger like, uh, uh-uh, uh, nope, nope, nope. You are not going to tell me what to wear. And so it's, and I'm sure like, I, it's always going to be there. And I have to realize like there are some instances where dress codes are okay and I can't just like react. But, but it's been a process. So I definitely have, I feel like I'm a different person, but the good of me is coming. I hope that the good of me, the good parts of me are coming out and able to shine versus being hidden like they were for so, so long. Um, But at the same time, you know, still, you know, have the peace that I have with my relationship with God now, because it's so different than it was. And, um, and again, that's been a huge process up and down too, of whether I even believe in God or not, because I feel like my perception was so skewed, so skewed. So it's been a journey it has been, and it's still going. And I don't think it will ever end, ever end.
1: Yeah. Most likely. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, so um, I'm going to switch a little bit the the tone. Um, I hear you often say, I can handle everything, I go, 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 I get things done, etc. And you actually say it very often in your interviews. For example, you just said, I'm always and I still believe I'm strong and I can handle anything. So just, just to quote you. Again, um, many women I notice think this about themselves. And uh, in my mind, uh, it's maybe also a way for ourselves to give ourselves courage and to keep going. But I'm curious actually to hear what you think about the the, the pros and cons of keeping keeping on saying this to ourselves um, and, and what it really means deep down.
0: Yes, that's a great question. Um, yes, I do I do still say I can handle everything because, uh, I do, because I still do feel that way about me. I think the differences, and I think you're right. I think many people, many women think that about themselves. I think it's, we're kind of thrown into that in motherhood. We have that, you know, mother guilt. If we aren't with our kids all the time and aren't doing all the things and the field trips and, and all of that. So I think it does give us some courage when we think, oh, I can handle everything. I can handle everything. And I think that's true. And for me, I still will say that, but it is different now. I think in the past, it was always a validation for me, like validating, like in my mind, I was never good enough. So if I could outwardly, and this is how I grew up too, if I could outwardly appear that everything was capiche and wonderful and I was just perfect then it would help me internally you know believe that on some level so I think I was always looking for that validation of wow look at her she's got it all together and oh she's the pinterest mom and and I really thrived on that like I I felt like I had to go and wear myself out to be that pinterest mom and be amazing and the perfect wife and the perfect host and all those things. And now I'm not. Now I will still say I can do anything because I I believe I can. But nowadays I do it with help. So I can do anything, but I've got help. So I don't do it alone anymore. And I think that's a huge difference. If I need to reach out to my therapist, I've created or not created, but I've, you know, come in contact with this amazing friend group over the last couple of years who I can, you know, call a group of these women at any time for any reason, really, and say, "Ugh, I just need a vent. I'm struggling. Or can you pick up the kids today? Or, you know, I can't go out for groceries. Can you please pick this up? Like the simplest things, but how huge of an impact it has made on me and my relationships with my girlfriends It's crazy. And I've never had that in my past. Never, ever, ever. I would never even think about figuring out how I was going to get, you know, some soda crackers in my house for my sick kid that I couldn't leave. I would never ask for help. I would figure out a way to make it happen. So I think that's the difference is I can still do everything, but I'm doing it with help. And it's that's again, that's been life changing for me to be able to ask for help, because I was not the person that asked for help ever. And I, I think that there's so much strength in that. And I've learned so much, like putting yourself out there a little bit and being a little bit vulnerable. I've learned so much from my, from my friends. And that would never happen if I wasn't vulnerable and wasn't asking for help. And, and you know what? And they do the same. It's like, we, it's not like, I'm just always asking for help and they're not, we, sh- you know, we share each other's burdens and we share each other's kids and we, we really do help each other. And it's, it's, it's really neat to me to see that because again, that's not how I grew up. And to have like deep intimate relationships with my girlfriends is such a new experience for me, literally like in the last couple years, it's very exciting. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, this is what, these relationships should be like and instead I was just trying to do life all on my own and it's much more wonderful having help in life and having people along for the journey as well
1: yeah I I can't I really can't imagine it any other way and it's really crazy to hear because in my mind a sense of community is essential in, in 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 this kind of environment
0: oh yes so so it does seem like a sense of community uh would have been there in the cult And in part, it was. And when I have people ask me, you know, for new people that came, what did they see in this group that would make them want to be a part of it? First of all, we had very, very few new people. Um, There were a couple of friends of mine, actually, that were married into the group and definitely regretted that. But people would see, like even my friend that I was talking about that I babysat for, They would see this sense of community. They're like, oh, you guys just are such a neat, you know, group and everyone knows everything about everyone. But it was so toxic because of that. Everyone knew everything about everyone. You, you were with these people all, I mean, they were your social life basically. But at the same time, it, even though it would appear to be like a great community, it was so superficial that you did not have deep relationships. And like looking back, probably my mom had one relationship with my aunt, one of my aunts that they would have a lot of fun together. And I would say maybe that was her deep relationship. But I never, and you know, I got out when I was 31. For those 31 years, I never had a, what I would call a deep, intimate relationship with any person, any person. No one that I could go to to talk to about my feelings. No one that I could confide could in, it was just so superficial. And I do believe that that is how it was for a majority of people. I don't feel like there were very many people that felt like... I I, I think we were just all living in depression. And so, so that is interesting because it, it is. And I do think people saw that sense of community from the outside maybe. But once you were in, it's... It, and again, the people, some of the people that maybe did join, I feel like were so damaged, and I've said this before, but I think for damaged people, you know, anything is better than nothing. Or for people that don't have that group, like I always think, like kids with gangs, they join gangs because they don't have family and they they have nothing better. That's how I picture, you know, a lot of this. And I think from the outside coming in, maybe if you were into real mellow, non emotional, you know, people, maybe you would come to a meeting and think, oh, these wonderful people are, you know, having a Bible study and serving God. And, and so for some people, maybe there was a bit of a draw there. uh, But I really don't think so, because there was a lot of other people serving God in our world, the whole time we thought we were it. So yeah, so community, but not really.
1: Wow this is actually a really good point. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Um um so I I was um thinking about this interview and I was um thinking about what I wanted to ask you and then as as I looked at the different things we talked about in this episode um, I realized that from helping animal in distress, which is what you wanted to do when you were younger, to wanting to become a nurse, to becoming a retail, realtor and helping people find a home, uh, to even now actually becoming an influencer who uses humor to make people feel better. Um, I do feel there is a common thread. I feel there's a, a common thread because you you really seem to actually have the the intention to, you know, whatever you do in your life to make a positive impact on others and help others. Um, is that something you've ever, uh, realized or is that just, um, not intentional actually? I'd love to know what you think about that. If it has any, any part in, in your own story in your mind.
0: Oh my gosh. You're so sweet. That could make me cry. Um, I honestly never have put that all together. Um Yeah. Wow, thank you. It means a lot to me. Um I really do feel that I feel that now I'm in a much healthier place. And I can look, look back on my life. Um, I feel now like really truly that God has always had a purpose for me. And, you know, it doesn't matter that it didn't happen till I was 40 years old. Um, this might be it, you know maybe it is making other people laugh. I definitely know I want and I I realized it pretty soon after my social media stuff kind of took off, but I I definitely realized the need for for people to not feel alone. And whether it's living in a weird background situation or even just a different family or or going through infertility or adoption, I feel like those are all areas that I was really, really alone in throughout. And I now feel like I can be a voice for other people and and be there. I've had people reach out to me on those different subjects specifically, and it's been an honor for me to say, oh, I've been there. And you know, my biggest bit of advice honestly is ask for help. Ask someone close to you for help. You know, if you're feeling depressed, call a therapist, like get help because I never had help throughout all those different journeys in my life. And it was devastating. It was really, really hard. So I do, I feel like, you know, now that that i'm at this you know i i feel like i've been given this platform it's not my own doing it just happened um that i it's a there's a reason for it and i think if it's purely like i said just making someone laugh every day i always say like if i can make any one person laugh on any post that i do that's worth it for me that is worth it for me because because we need to laugh and like life is really really hard and I know you're a parent of 3 and I am too and just parenting alone is so freaking hard and if we can't laugh a little bit through all of the trauma and day-to-day living that we're doing then uh that makes that takes me back you know it takes me back to a different life that I don't like and so I don't I don't like that and I really I think humor is so valuable and so important in our healing and it sure has been for me, and so yeah, if I can bring that to the world a little bit, you know, in my little corner over here, I feel I feel honored, like I huh, oh, I think that that is like, again, I haven't slept in like three days, but I feel like you that was really sweet. like I have not put that together. I really, really thank you. thank you for that. That was really, really, really good. Um, so yeah, I hope, I hope I am bringing, you know, a bit of happiness to, to you and to others. And, and then too, I don't even know if I told you, but I am starting my own podcast basically because of this, like being on so many other people's, um, podcast. I'm like, there are so many amazing stories out there and I am learning daily from all these other stories And so I'm like, um, I have to bring these stories to the world. So that's what I'm doing. So thank you. You are part of this. Um, because you guys, all the podcasts I've been on have just inspired me. I'm like, I have to like do this too. So I'm so excited.
1: Thank you so much for your vulnerability and your kindness. I am, I'm so happy to hear your Starting your own podcast, and believe me, it is therapeutic, absolutely. it has so much value and and the ten episodes that I've done so far has brought me so much they really have um, I believe um little bird told me you're also working on a book. Um, is that correct?
0: I am working on a book too, so my book has been like years in the making and keeps getting put on hold because. It's hard, <laughs> and <laughs> I I realized kind of right off the bat that when I started it, which was before all of this, uh-huh. um, I realized I had a lot more healing that I needed to do before I wanted to tackle the book. So it has been waves over the last couple of years as far as how much I work on it. But I am I'm writing a book, and then the podcast. The podcast comes out. It's called the Shanty Pants Show, and. I am going, I already have a great list of people I'm interviewing and have some already done and I am so excited because I'm like asking people that I would never think would say yes and people are saying yes. So I'm like, oh my <laughs> gosh, this is so exciting. And and I, again, people have amazing stories. So I just think the world needs to hear it and there's like not enough podcasts already, you know, there's only millions. So we need to add more to that.
1: I couldn't agree more. And honestly, this is exactly how I felt when you said yes to me. <laughs> Thanks so much, Shannon. This has been amazing. We're reaching the end of the episode, but but I didn't want to let you go without having, you know, a few of those fast fire gut questions that I like to ask at the end of my um podcast episodes with my guests so hopefully you're ready for question one which is what do you wish you knew more about
0: oh gosh obviously i'm really good at this okay wait okay fast don't think about it oh i know podcasting <laughs> because i've been obsessed with it and i've been teaching myself about it but i still need to little more so that's what i want to know more about podcasting
1: I would love, if you get any tips, please let me know. I'm still starting, still learning a lot, definitely. So here goes the second question. What other life do you catch yourself wanting to have lived? And that might be a big one for you, obviously.
0: Um, I still picture myself as a nurse. I truly do. And as a young nurse, like if I could have just gone to school straight out of high school and dove into that. I just, I still can picture myself doing that. I really can.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. Um, Okay. Um, What are the challenges that you faced that you think allowed you to grow up more positively and happy despite the
0: circumstances? All of them. I think uh, every step of my journey has allowed me to have more progress in the following step and i think when i look back i think every single challenge that i have gone to has prepared me for my next challenge and it's it's i you know i hate being thankful for those challenges and trials but i am thankful because i think each one got harder and harder and i don't think i could have like survived through the next one without have done the previous one so i think they all turned me into like a survivor and 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 to get more happy about life and be more positive, even though, like, life sucks a lot. So I think all of them. Oh, what advice have I heard that you think is rubbish? Oh, I love the word rubbish. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, what advice? Oh, there's so much. I mean, like, because if I go back, oh, okay, but I have to do rapid fire. Mm.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. It's tempting to answer a a little bit more and explain. Okay, so next one is, um, what advice have you heard and you think is totally rubbish and you hate that advice?
0: Oh, 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 this is my favorite bit of advice probably that I've ever received is when we were going through infertility treatments. Everyone had all the advice and the best bit of advice was, it was always, you just need to relax. No, really? But the best bit of advice was you need to buy a camper and travel around camping so you can really, truly relax and then you will get pregnant. (laughs) And I'm not a camper. I did not think that that was good advice. It was full on rubbish. Rubbish.
1: Okay. Message received. Clearly a note to everybody out there. Don't say that. Okay. (laughs) So next question. Um, how do you love spending your time in a way that gives you energy? What gives you energy?
0: I, I love being alone. I truly love being alone. I have three kids. I have a job. I have kind of the second side hobby job and yeah. And I have ADHD. So my brain is constantly like just in turmoil So being alone is the only way, like literally I'll go away for a weekend by myself and just be alone because I have to be like fully alone to just like feel my own thoughts. So I love it. I'll go, I journal. That's when I work on my book a lot. Uh, It's amazing. I love Uh to be alone. It gives me energy and being in nature, like hiking alone. Oh, I love it.
1: Yeah, I I cannot agree more I think I need to do more of that actually Thanks for that reminder. Um, okay and last one travel and family I think are things you've mentioned that you you kind of want to do more of uh, in the near future. Is there a special country or culture that you are particularly interested in maybe
0: Oh my gosh so travel and family yes definitely those are like my my whys right now um, travel we have I have never traveled much at all. And my big thing right now, and it's I think it's because several Australians have interviewed me, and I'm like, I mean, I've always loved Australia, and just like like Hugh Jackman, and like Hugh is my voice on my, um, you know, my 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 Siri voice. I love that. <laughs> and so he, so he, so I'm always hearing this, this oh, that wonderful accent, and and then like I said, I've been interviewed by Australians, so I like. Oh, and then like Irwin's, like I'm obsessed with them and the animals. I think that goes back a long time. But so I really want to go to Australia. And so that's like probably and maybe that's very random and weird and not like a choice destination, but I really want to go there and I want to see the animals that I've never seen before and hear all the people talking because it's amazing. So amazing.
1: I can see you already just staring at Australians, listening to them talk. <laughs> okay, so uh, I know I could speak to you for hours and I'm just so thankful of your time right now and especially your openness uh, in our conversation. So thank you so much for for talking to me today and, and, and bringing some joy and reality at the same time. Um, your story is absolutely unbelievable and I'm so grateful that you were willing to uh, to share it with us today.
0: I seriously loved us so much. But thank you so much. That was like, I've never cried in a podcast before, ever, ever. So I love you. Thank you. Like,
1: I feel terrible. I'm so sorry I made you cry.
0: No, don't be sorry. So like, I feel like I needed that.
1: <laughs> oh, you're very kind. Well, thank you so much again. And uh, really <laughs> encouraging our listeners to follow uh, Shiny Pants, the new podcast, The Shiny Pants Show. I'll put the link down below in the description. Thank you everyone for
0: listening and until next time. Bye-bye and thank you so much. That was a lot of fun. Well, I hope you all enjoyed hearing a little bit more about me and my story today. And of course, I'm sure you really enjoyed getting to hear me cry on a podcast so that was a lot of fun i definitely have to thank nags for this amazing interview it was so much fun to chat with her and you guys must go listen to her podcast chronicles of us and i will drop that in the show notes as well as where you can find chronicles of us and nags thanks so much guys bye Thank you so much for being here for another episode of the Shanty Pants Show. I really appreciate your support. So please leave me a review and some stars and share my show with all of your friends because I'm sure they will want to hear it as well. And if you just can't wait for next week and you need to know what I'm up to in the meantime, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Official Shanty Pants and on YouTube and Facebook at Shanny Pants. See you next week. This is the it's time to turn the page. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue.
1: Another cool fact...